the one person who comes out of a concentration camp where 800,000 people died that week, and he comes out of it, and he's overwhelmed. How come I lived? Everybody else died. How come I lived? What's, ab what's about me? That Why did God leave me? I don't want to live. I don't want. Of course, it's very heavy to be singled out. Out of 800,000 Jews, you're the one chosen to live. Why was I getting special attention? You're wrong. You weren't getting special attention. You were getting exactly the same attention that all 800,000 people got. Each one of them, God took by the hand and led him to his fate. And he led you to your fate. Not because he paid more attention to you. They all died because, well, the world's gone, gone, to, gone to pot. Everybody's dying. How come I didn't? They, they didn't die because everybody's dying. Every single one who died in the Holocaust was meant to die. He, individually, was meant to die that day. And whoever was not meant to die that day doesn't. Not because of special attention. Because of common divine providence. <coughs> common meaning happens to everybody. So God paid as much attention to the individual from among the 800,000 who died there as he is paying to the one who walked out. Because nothing happens automatically. So I don't have to say, well, God allowed a Holocaust. God created a Hitler. God created a German people. God created poisonous gas. God created anti-Semitism. God created railroad cars. And automatically, millions of people died. No. No automatically. You're driving in a train full of people. Train full. 500 people. And there's a terrible accident. And the train is about to fall, and it, it doesn't fall. And all 500 people walk out unscratched. So the guy sitting in the middle says, I should thank God for saving me. There's something, something personal with me. Nobody got hurt. Oh, nobody got hurt? OK, fine. If everybody else got hurt except me, then I would walk around and say, oh, wow, God was protecting me. <laughs> but if 500 people don't get hurt, oh, so it wasn't such a bad accident. Not God is protecting all 500 of us. Oh, nobody got hurt. Oh, so nothing happened. So nothing happened. So run to the shore and thank God for what? For what? Nothing happened. The car didn't turn over. That's why I didn't get hurt. I didn't get hurt because the car didn't turn over. So what, the car didn't turn over for me? I can't be so arrogant. The car didn't turn over. So. so automatically, I didn't get hurt. There is no automatically. The question is why you don't have to make gremel every time you do anything, to make a bracha for everything that happens. You walk across the street, you should make a bracha. So you don't make a bracha unless you experience it. 
You can't make a bracha for something that is, but you don't feel it. Just like you can't make a bracha on bread when you're not eating it. Why not? Every time you think of bread, you should make a bracha. I mean, isn't it wonderful? God brings bread out of the earth. So whenever you think of bread, you should make a bracha. No. You only make the bracha when, you, when you're using it, when you're experiencing it. Or like it says, that there's a special bracha you're supposed to make when you pass a place in which a miracle once happened to you. You're supposed to say, Baruch sha'asa li nes b'makam hazeh. So the question would be, why do you have to pass by there to make the bracha? Every time you think of it, you should make a bracha. Thank God for making a nest for me. Yeah, but, but nothing happened to ha- for you to be experiencing it again. When you go past that place, the place makes it all come back. So you relive it. When you relive it, make a bracha. But you're not reliving it, you just remember. So you make a bracha for everything you know. You don't make a bracha for knowing. You have to make a bracha for experiencing. Experiencing it means you're affected. Your heart beats differently. Your your skin color is different. Your 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 blood pressure goes up. You're experiencing it. You're feeling it. You're going through it. Somebody was just telling me about uh, the book Hasidic Tales of the Holocaust. I'm sure God was crying over the death of six million Jews. But I think he was also crying over the over the specialness of the Jews that came out during the Holocaust. So the tears were tears of pain as w- mixed with tears of joy. A mother who, God forbid, watches her child go through a very difficult illness, and the child is magnificent, the way he's handling it, and the goodness that comes out, and the menschlichkeit that comes out. So the mother is standing there and crying, but it's two kinds of tears. On the one hand, it seems like religious people should be very laid back and very non-aggressive and very non-ambitious and very um, benign. On the other hand, we say all the wars were started by religion. <laughs> all the trouble starts from religious fanatics. So which is, which is the case? Being religious makes you sit back and do nothing? or religion makes you want to take over the world. Hopefully neither. But what you're asking seems to be a logical, a logical result. But in experience, we find that it's not. Religious people generally don't sit back and let things happen. They feel very responsible, and they and they uh, and they do something about it. And sometimes they feel so responsible that they think they run the world. So the exact the exact opposite happens. 
but it's certainly not true that because people were religious in Europe, that's why when the Holocaust happened, they didn't fight back because they just let it happen. It's not. It's not even true. We're trying to figure out why the Jews were passive in the Holocaust. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. So we say, first of all, they were caught by surprise. Second of all, they were hungry and tired and disillusioned. And third of all, they were confused. And, and fourth of all, what would be the point of fighting? They would have lost anyway. I'm saying that it isn't true to begin with. Jews were not passive. Jews were not passive in the Holocaust. They either fought back or they were busy with something else. They were not passive. When people describe the group of Jews who walk into a gas chamber without making a sound, isn't that passive? They weren't passive. They were busy. When the Nazis were standing there saying, why don't they fight? Why don't they scream? Didn't the Nazis know why? Take one look at them. Look at them. I mean, they're so tired. They're so confused. They're so dazed. They're so out of it. Of course they can't fight or scream. Couldn't they see that this was going on? So why were the Nazis shocked and disappointed that the Jews didn't fight back? Didn't scream, panic, cry, go crazy? so that they could shoot him down. I mean, the Nazi who was standing there watching one guy after another walk into the, and he's saying, how come these people aren't fighting? All they had to do is take one look at them. You see, they're dazed, they're confused, they're stunned, they're in a trance. They don't know what's going on. Because he did look at them. He looked them right in the eye. And he saw that they weren't dazed, and they weren't confused, and they weren't in a trance. They were going about dying like, like they intended to. They were fully in control of their faculties. They were wide awake. Some of them were singing animamin. They weren't being passive. They were too busy to fight. They were busy with something else. And that's what drove the Nazis crazy. The Nazi is standing there saying, this is my holocaust. I am making this holocaust. I, this is my concentration. This is my gas chamber. You're going into my gas chamber because I'm telling you to go and I'm the Nazi and I've got the machine gun. Why are you not listening to me? What are you thinking about when I'm talking to you? What are you busy with in my concentration camp? They're busy singing Ani Mamen. They're busy. Where, where is their head? He was screaming. Where was their head? Dazed, confused, in a trance? No, it wasn't true. It is simply not true. They were not dazed, they were not confused, they were not in a trance. That's why it's such a mystery to the people who were there, not just to us. We don't know the facts, we don't know what they looked like, we don't know what they were. But to the people who were there, to the Nazi who was standing there telling them to go into the gas chambers, to him it's a mystery. Because he saw them. He saw that they're perfectly alert. He sees that their mind is working. They're, and they're not paying any attention to him. So he's screaming, what are you people doing? 
How can you be busy with something else when, when, when this is going on? So where was their head? What were they thinking? What were they feeling? What were they seeing? Where were they? That's what we don't know. But it isn't true that they were passive. If they were passive, there wouldn't be any mystery. Passive people, passive people. The mystery of the Holocaust was that these are not passive people. And since when are Jews passive? And the same guy a month before was running around ripping off everybody else in the marketplace because he's a shrewd business. I mean, what kind of passive? Who you thought was passive? And even there, they were not being passive. We dismissed them too lightly. They were not passive. They were not dazed and stunned. And because of that, we, we misunderstand the whole Holocaust. We think the Holocaust is, you know, the good guys and the bad guys. The bad guys got together and they killed a lot of good guys. You don't, that's not what happened in the Holocaust. That's not what a Holocaust is. So when people say, do you have an explanation for why the Holocaust happened? No. Do you know what a Holocaust is? No. So we don't even know what it is. How can we figure out why it happened? Maybe if we knew what it is, maybe we'd understand. But it's not that we don't know why. We don't know what. What in the world is a Holocaust? We don't know what it is. Because after all the definitions, we come up with a blank. We come up with a question mark. And the question mark is not why. The question mark is how. How could, how could it? And more than that, the people who came out of the Holocaust, you try to ask to get them to define it, they don't know what to say. What is a Holocaust? A Holocaust is when some people kill other people. No, that's a war. That's a raid. That's a massacre. That's a pogrom. What's a holocaust? Genocide. genocide is not a holocaust. Genocide is genocide. When the Russians come into Czechoslovakia and they kill out 50,000 people, that's genocide. What's a holocaust? It's a different thing. Of a people. Huh? Of a people. Genocide of a people is a holocaust. Huh? I'm sure there have been other incidents where there was genocide of a people. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know what happened. That's what I'm trying to say. We don't know what happened. If there are things that are normal, when they happen, we know what that means. We know what war is. So I don't have to go to Afghanistan to find out what war is. You tell me there's a war in Afghanistan, I know what you're talking about. 
I know what you're talking about. There are people there with guns. They shoot this way. They shoot that way. People die. I, I know what war is. But you tell me there's a holocaust going on in Europe. I don't know what you're talking about. What's a holocaust? We know the results. We know that six million died. How did they die? We don't understand. Let's put it differently. When we try to compare, when you try to say, for example, why couldn't the Jews in world, during World War II fight the same way that the Jews in, in Israel in 48 fought? They also didn't have weapons. They also were outnumbered. So why couldn't they do what the Jews did in 48? So most people say, that's what Zionism accomplished. Zionism took Jews who were passive, who didn't know how to stand up for themselves, and turned them into fighters. Now, the question is wrong to begin with. You can't compare. You can't say, why didn't they do in the Holocaust what they did in 48? What kind of comparison? What were the people in 48 experiencing? And what were the people in 42 experiencing? Totally different things. So you can't ask, why didn't they do there what was done over there? In these circumstances, you can do it. In those circumstances, not. Just one little detail. Num many of the, of, the, of, the <clears throat> of the survivors, when they're asked, why didn't you break out of the concentration camp? You know what their answer is? To where? To where? If I have my house here and they're keeping me here, then I am motivated to break out and run back to my house. When I have no house, I have no world. The world is on fire. So you're asking me, why am I sitting here? Why don't I run here? And what's going to be here? If I'll sit here, you'll ask me, why are you sitting here? Run here. To compare why the Jews that the Jews were able to fight in 48, but they weren't able to fight. Of course, it's a whole different world you're talking about. So why can't you think the Holocaust is the unthinkable? That man asked man, as a human mind, could not even conceive of. And how do people feel when they're living under an inconceivable circumstance? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know what that's like. So we don't know what they were feeling. We don't know what they were thinking. We don't know how they were reacting. But not because, you see, and, and we sit here trying to say, oh, they were so passive. How do you know they were passive? Because you're assuming that the circumstances there were the same as, for example, the pogrom in Kishinev. But, but there, there was a pogrom. So if people sat there and waited for the pogrom to happen, you could legitimately say, fool, what are you sitting there for? Run to Moscow. Run to Siberia. Run to somewhere. Run somewhere. But when there is no place to run, so what do people feel? What do they think? There's a war going on outside. There's a war going on inside. So, so what happens to people then? We don't know. So it's, ah, oh, they were passive. How do you know they were passive? Hmm? So if you say, look, they could have been running and they could have been fighting, but they had this faith, so they sat. Or are you saying, when you can't run and when you can't fight and when it's 
you're locked in, and all you see in front of you is death, of course, you have faith. What else are you going to do? So it's not that the faith kept them there. The conditions made, made it impossible to go any place. When you can't go any place, what do you do? You go up. It's not that you shouldn't try to deal with it. But in trying to deal with it, don't pass it off as another event. And therefore, make comparisons. Why didn't they do this? Why? You got to realize that if you're trying to understand the Holocaust, you need new words, just like the word Holocaust is new. You need new words to describe their condition, their reactions, their experience. You can't just compare it to anything else. It says in Holy Svarim that when you say Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elkeinu Hashem Echad, you have to think to yourself and intend a willingness to die for God. Mesiris Nefesh. When you say Shema Yisrael, you have to experience a readiness to die for God. <coughs> and somebody once said, it would be, who did, somebody who did this, day in and day out, once said, it would be much easier to just die. To die from, with Messiris Nefesh is a one-time thing. To live with Messiris Nefesh is much harder. Those people who in the Holocaust were face to face with God, and then all of a sudden they're told, okay, now go back. Now go live. Now move to America. That, that, that is so heavy that it destroyed them. In other words, they were up so high that when they came down, they came down with a terrible crash. Consider, consider another thing. Here are people who are locked into a world condition that is unprecedented. A world war going on around them and an internal holocaust going on with them. That double condition is unprecedented. How does that make a person feel? How does one think when he's faced with something like this? Don't know. But another question. The Jew goes up to the Nazi, and he says, OK, what do you want? What do you want? You win. You win. I'm intimidated. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. You can do whatever you want with me. You win. You are the superior Obermensch. You are a superhuman race. You're the heroes. I'm the Shlomazel. What do you want? What do you want? Tell me what to do. I'll do it. He says, I don't want nothing. I want to kill you. What does that do to a person? There were Jews in the Inquisition. The church came to them and said, we want you to bow to an idol. 
We want you to swear off your Judaism. We want you to believe in, 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 in the thing that hangs on the wall. She said, no. I don't want. If he was sufficiently intimidated and all his toenails were already torn out, whatever you want. You want to be a monkey? I'll be a monkey. He says, no, I don't want anything. Die. What does that do to people? Also, what does it do to your Judaism? The, the guy in the, in the Inquisition knew that he was suffering for his Yiddishkeit. But what does it mean, suffering for his Yiddishkeit? He was suffering because he didn't want to do something that goes against his religion. Theoretically, if he wanted to save himself, he could. He could become a Christian. But what does a Jew do who is told that because you are Jewish, you're dying? He says, okay, I won't be Jewish. No, doesn't matter. Because you're Jewish, you're dying. How does a person under those circumstances feel about the fact that he's Jewish? Put yourself in the mind of a guy during the Inquisition. They're, they're, they're torturing him. And he thinks to himself, what do I need this for? What do I need this for? I wish I wasn't Jewish. Then I wouldn't suffer. If he came to that conclusion, he had an option. He says, oh, in that case, I'm not going to be Jewish anymore. I'm becoming a Christian. And then the suffering stops. So if a Jew in the times of the Inquisition decided that he resents the fact, he regrets the day he was born, he hates the fact that he's a Jew because look at all the suffering that it's bringing him, well, he had an option. You resent being Jewish. You hate the fact that you're Jewish. So stop. So don't be Jewish. The person in the Holocaust, what was he supposed to make of the fact that he's Jewish? What were they thinking? They went into the gas chamber singing Ani Mamen. Rabbi Akiva died at the, at the Auto de Fe saying Shema Yisrael with a smile on his lips. That's not the same as the guys who walked into the concentration, into the gas chamber singing Ani Mamen. No comparison whatsoever. Rabbi Akiva knew why he was dying. He knew why he was dying. The Romans w told him not to teach Torah, and he decided he was going to teach Torah. For Torah, he was willing to die. Had he not been willing to die, he would have not taught Torah, and he wouldn't have died. So his death is, in a way, something he chose. He decided. He had an option. Maybe his soul didn't have an option. But humanly, he had an option. <clears throat> but when the Jews walked into the gas chamber singing Ani Mamen, they didn't even have the joy of knowing that they're dying because they choose to. Because they don't want to be Christians. Because they don't want to stop learning Torah. Because nobody is going to tell them not to be Jewish. 
Nobody was telling them not to be Jewish. So if Rabbi Akiva was happy that he was dying a martyr's death, well, he was a martyr. He could have copped out. He could have taken the coward's way out, and he didn't. He's a martyr. But if the Jew walks into the gas chamber in World War II with his head held high and he's singing Ani Mamin, what's he happy about? What did he got to be proud of? The Jews of the Holocaust were martyrs. And not just martyrs like Rabbi Akiva or like the people who died in the, in the Inquisition. Much greater. A different class of martyrs. It's just that we're too close in history to appreciate. I'm sure that the people who died under the Romans also weren't appreciated by the next generation. It takes time to get a perspective. But there's no question that when we get that perspective, we will realize that the people who died in the Holocaust were infinitely, not of a different class of martyr than any other martyrs we've ever had before. Because the Jew in the, in the, in the Inquisition could have resented the fact that they're Jewish. They could have wished that they weren't Jewish. And even though they wished they weren't Jewish, but the fact that they, they are Jewish and they're not going to bow to an idol. So they died because they refused to bow to an idol. But who knows whether they didn't resent being Jewish. Who knows if they weren't wishing in their heart of hearts that they hadn't been Jewish. Because then they wouldn't have this whole problem. But the people who died in the Holocaust, the whole test was not whether they would bow to an idol, not whether they would become Christians, not whether they would stop learning Torah. The whole test, there was nothing else. The whole test was, if you had to die just because you're Jewish, would you resent being Jewish? That was their only option. There, there was no option to run away. There was no option to become a Christian. There was no option to bow to an idol. There was no option to give up Torah. Their only option was within themselves. Their option was to either say, but I want to be a Jew, or to say, I, I resent that I'm Jewish. I regret that I'm Jew. I wish I wasn't Jewish. That's the only option they had. And as far as anybody can tell, from all the stories out of the Holocaust, people didn't say that. The Jews in the Holocaust were not saying, I wish I wasn't Jewish. No. Except the, the ones who killed themselves. The ones who killed themselves really got blown away by this whole thing. They couldn't believe that their German friends would turn against them. And they got so, so disoriented that they jumped out of windows and killed themselves. But the ones who were there in the concentration camp had, had enough time to rearrange his thinking about who he is and where he belongs in the world. And by the time he walked into the gas chamber, he was Jewish. 
But how do you explain that you're dying not because you want to be a Jew, not because you practice being a Jew, not because you refuse to give up being a Jew, just for the fact that you're a Jew? Nobody in history ever had to handle this experience. So we don't know what it's like. And the miracle of the whole thing is six million Jews died for no reason at all. It's not what they did. It's not what they said. It's not what they believed. It's not what they wanted. No. They died just for being. Just for being. Oh, no, no I'm not... I'm not saying they died for nothing. They weren't being killed because of something they did or didn't do or refused to do. They were being killed only because they are Jewish. Wouldn't you resent being Jewish under those circumstances? They didn't. That's the miracle. They didn't. They were glad to be Jews. <laughs> Amazing. Not they wanted the freedom to practice their Judaism. Maybe they didn't, never practiced it before either. They went in singing Animamen, which basically meant to say, I am glad that I am a Jew. There's never been such martyrs before. They were so busy being happy that they were Jews that they had no time to notice the Nazis with their dogs, with their machine guns. They were busy being Jewish. And the Nazis couldn't take it couldn't take it. After everything I'm doing to you, and after what Germany is doing to the Jewish people, you still think being Jewish is better than being me? They couldn't take it. It made them crazy. They all say the same thing. They all say that Jews didn't pay any attention to the Nazis. They walked. They went. They were, where are they going? What are they doing? Everybody's going crazy trying to figure out. Of all the stories, of all the images that came out of the Holocaust, we hear about people who fought for a piece of bread, and we hear about people who s circumcised their kid, and we hear about people who, 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 who... But you don't hear stories coming out of the Holocaust where kids were screaming to their fathers, why are we Jewish? Why can't we stop being Jew? You, hear, you ever hear such stories? I didn't. But it's understandable that you wouldn't hear stories like that. Why? Who's censoring the news? Hmm. Yes. They're, they they want to dig up every ugly story they can possibly get their hands on. They, they're angry. They're now saying who needed to be born Jewish. And they would love to be able to tell you stories about how millions of Jews were upset about it. They can't find those stories. 
to say that we found certain Jews who acted like human beings, so what, so what does that prove? Fine. Yeah. But what I'm trying to say is, to compare it to being a carbon is not enough. This was greater than anything that had happened before. Greater than the Akedah. Not in, not in, in, in nature. The nature of it was greater. If God came to any one of those Jews and said, sacrifice your son, it would have been so much easier than to go through a Holocaust. Not because of the numbers. If God comes and says, do it, you know what you're doing. You, you know, this is what God wants. I'm going to do it. It hurts me. It's sad. But I, but I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what I have to do. And I'm going to do it. A holocaust means you're dying and you don't know why. The gypsies were being killed because of something they did. The Ukrainians were being killed because of something they did. Because they fought back. Because they, something. They were the enemy. The Jews were nobody's enemy. So they didn't cooperate. I mean, something got something got them angry at the at the at the. Uh, what about the Catholics who were being killed? Beca because they fought back. Jews didn't fight back. Jews, Jews were willing to do whatever you wanted. They no, but you have to die. And besides, even if. <laughs> Even if the, the gypsies were being killed only because they're gypsies, the question is still, how did they react? Did they sing Animamen? When they realized that they're dying only because they're gypsies, they went crazy. They didn't sing Animamen. Even the ones who said, where is God? There's a story in Gemara that during the destruction of the temple, there was a Jewish woman who was a mistress of the Roman general who was in charge of burning down the Beis Hamikdash. She had run away from her family, and she had become involved with, with, with the Romans, and she had become this Roman general's mistress. When she heard that he is going to destroy the base of Migdash, she says she wants to come along and watch. So she went. As they were destroying the base of Migdash, she went into the, into the base of Migdash, and she took off her shoe, and she pounded her shoe on the on the on the mizbeach, on the altar, and she said, "You're nothing but a wolf. You eat up Jewish sheep, you eat up Jews' lambs, you eat up Jews' goats, sacrifices. But when it comes time to help the Jews, you can't do nothing." So, this is in times of Hanukkah. It wasn't the Greeks. It wasn't the Romans. It was the Greeks. After the Jews got back the, uh, the Beis Hamikdash and cleaned it up and everything, 
they banned her family from participating in any sacrifices because of the disgrace that she... Her name was Miriam Bas Bilga. Miriam, the daughter of Bilga. So the Gemara tells the story and says that her family could not contribute even wood to the, to the Mizbeach because of what she did. So one number of years ago, the Rebbe was speaking about this story, mentioned the Gemara, and he said, look at how precious a Jewish person is. After all that she did, she went with him and she was his mistress and she came to see them as Bayach destroyed, the, the Beis Amigdash destroyed, and she put her shoes on them as Bayach and she called it names and she cursed. But at the bottom of it all, what bothered her? That Jews were suffering and the Mizbeach wasn't helping. She could have enjoyed the fact that Jews are suffering. <laughs> That's right. A Jew can't think like that, right? Who can? <laughs> Who can? 80 million Germans, 200,000 million Russians. Not about their own people, about their own people. Yeah. So wait, let me finish the story here. The next week, by the Fabrengen, the Rebbe said that somebody sent him a letter with a complaint. The complaint was... The Gemara tells the story of how evil this woman was. How could the Rebbe sit there in public and make her sound like some kind of a tzaddik? The Gemara says she was bad. What do you mean? What are you telling? What are you making her sound like she was good? So the Rebbe mentioned this letter that he got, and he said, I don't understand. Why should it bother a Jew that a soul that has been suffering for 2,000 years finally can come to rest because someone said a nice word about her? So what we see from it is that when the Jew in the Holocaust says, where is God now? What is he thinking? What is he feeling? He's feeling that Jews are good people, precious people. Why isn't God helping them? And it's a very good question. Yeah, it's not a sign of wickedness. On the contrary. That's true compassion for a fellow Jew. So those six million Jews experienced the truth of being Jewish in, in their dying for it. We have to experience the truth of being Jewish by living it. And that's tshuva. Because if you're a tzaddik, 
or more or less a tzaddik, and you live your Yiddishkeit, and you were raised with it, and you grew up in it, and the whole shtetl is religious, and everybody does their thing, and do you really know you're Jewish? No. You think you're religious. But have you come in touch, have you come into contact with the fact that you're Jewish? No. It's a very distasteful expressions like Shomer Shabbos. Are you Shomer Shabbos? That's like when people ask you what your sign is. Are you Gemini? Yes, I'm Gemini and I'm Shomer Shabbos. Then they create another one. Are you Hall of Israel? Or are you glot kosher? Because some are glot, some are not glot. Some are Shomer Shabbos, some are not Shomer Shabbos. Are you Shomer Nagia? Do you not touch women? Do you not touch men? Or are you the Orthodox that do? Or even the very thing, are you Orthodox? That is, all of it is so distasteful. The only legitimate issue, the only legitimate question is, are you Jewish? Are you, are you Shomer Shabbos? What kind of question? Who's a Shomer Shabbos? What's a Shomer Shabbos? There's no such creation. There's no such creature as a Shomer Shabbos. Uh, do you keep Shabbos? That's a good question. Do you eat meat? Do you shop at Bambergers? Those are good questions. Do you do this? Do <laughs> but are you? You want to know what I am? Then there's only one question to ask. I'm a Jew. So when a person is raised with, with Yiddishkeit and mitzvahs and Torah and you run around and you're busy with it, do you know you're Jewish? Chances are you don't know you're Jewish. You think you're Orthodox, you think you're European, you think you're Polish, you think you're Russian, you think you're glot kosher, <laughs> you're th you think you're Chol of Yisrael. I mean, you have all sorts of weird imaginations about yourself. But that you're Jewish, that you don't, doesn't seem to mean anything. But a Baal Tshuva is someone who wasn't religious, wasn't Shomer Shabbos, wasn't or from, wasn't Chol of Israel, wasn't Glat, wasn't into Nagia. <laughs> and found out that they're Jewish, that I'm a Jew. If I'm a Jew, Chol of Yisrael, Shabbos, and everything, fine. 
but I'm a Jew. That's what the discovery was. Even today, there are people and yeshivas in Israel who go around bringing people to Yiddishkeit, but they don't make bali tshuva. Make sense? They come to somebody and say, come to our yeshiva, we'll convince you that the orthodox is the right way. So they go, and they get convinced that orthodox is the right way. What have they created? Bali tshuva? No, they've created orthodoxes. Seriously. It's a, new, it's a new distortion, a new takeoff on Judaism. Orthodoxes. Yeshiva people, not Bali Tshuva. What's a yeshiva person? So what I'm saying is that there are some yeshivas or some people who don't help you realize that you're a Jew. They just help you realize that it's so much smarter to be Orthodox. So you become Orthodox. That's why the people who become religious because the computer showed that every word in Torah means something. Did you discover that you're Jewish or not? You're impressed with a computer? Wonderful. It's a new religion. It's a new religion. The computer is God. The computer coughs out commandments. And you obey. But did you feel the fact that no matter where you go or how you live or what you think, you are a Jew? If you haven't realized that, then it, then fine, go to yeshiva, be orthodox, from and shomer Shabbos. But you're, you're not getting the point. You're missing the whole point. In a sense, the person who has a very strong experience it suddenly hits them right between the eyes that you can stand on your head and spit wooden nickels. You are Jewish. Hits them right between the eyes. And they realize that that means that they now have to go and start keeping Shabbos and keeping kosher. And they say, no, I don't want to. And they run away. That's a Baal Shuvah. 